Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. To those that survived their playoff week, congratulations. To those that didn't, that are still listening to this podcast, thank you. Uh, condolences to your fantasy team. I had one of my two playoff teams eliminated last week. It just happened to be the one with Steph Curry and Jimmy Butler as my top two picks, and they played a combined one game last week. Half- Steph played half a game, and Jimmy played half a game. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, you know what? Steph played one game, like 1.2 games. Okay, and, and Butler played about 0.4. So they got like 1.6 games out of them combined. And obviously, that was kind of a death sentence for a fantasy team. You can't lose your top two picks in a playoff week. And hopefully you guys didn't undergo uh, a similar fate. It is really remarkable, however, how much rests on on the health of your team. It's actually crazy. And my other team, which probably... So, like, the one that had Steph and, and Donovan Mitchell and Jimmy Butler, that team probably should have advanced. That was a really good team built on a nice kind of punt big format, and it won lost. And then the other team that probably shouldn't have advanced, because, frankly, the guys just didn't play very well last week, did because my opponent lost John ja Morant on the last day. I mean, it's, it's all... It's like a, almost 100% injury-based at this time of year. Okay, I'm probably being a bit hyperbolic there, but, you know, I, I just, I hate it. Like, Roto, and I know you guys are sick of hearing this, but Roto is like 20% based on injury. You get completely leveled, yeah, you're going to lose in any format, but an injury here, an injury there, in a Roto league, you generally can withstand it because they come back, and everything that they do on either side of the injury is still part of your season's worth. And everybody's like, oh, well, you know what they do in head-to-head, it counts. It's how you got to the playoffs. Yeah, but your season can end in two days. You know, Steph plays the entire week. A lot of teams win that wouldn't have won last week, which, like, he's not a great example because Steph's probably done for the rest of the regular season, and that would certainly hurt you in Roto as well. But, like, you've built up all of his three-pointers, all of his points, all of that stuff in a Roto format. It's not going to drop you from second place or first place, whatever you were, to nothing. It might take you from first place to second or first place to third or something like that, losing Steph for three or four weeks. But in head-to-head, you lose him for one week. Any of these guys, you lose him for one week, you're basically just done. You go from whatever position you were to, poof, nothing. I just, I can't, I know... Sorry, I'm going to stop beating the dead horse. You guys just, you know how much I love Roto. This is the time of year, though, we're going to focus a little more on head-to-head. I got some folks that were mentioning, hey, Dan, don't forget about us on Roto side. I never would. Here's the thing. We just don't really talk Roto strategy as much right now, uh, and and that's my fault. I should be injecting some of that into the, the, the conversation here. The main things I want to point out on the Roto side are the streamers of opportunity. That's what you see the final month of the year. The silly season that ruins head-to-head leagues actually can make Roto kind of fun because you don't typically have a moves cap. So when a starter goes down and a reserve might play one fill-in game, Donovan Mitchell, a great example. What day did he sit out? Was that Saturday? Friday? I can't remember. I think it was Friday when they hosted the Clippers, right? I mean, we'll go back through this in reverse chronological lighting round in a minute. But Donovan Mitchell sat out Friday... And so, 
I mean, Jordan Clarkson's probably pretty heavily rostered in leagues, but that's a fantastic opportunity for one day of fill-in of whoever picks up the pieces behind him. Giannis sat out a game uh, Saturday, if memory serves. I think they played on Saturday. And you know when that happens, other guys are going to get to do more. Pat Connaughton got to step up and do more. So these types of things on the Roto side are very much in the view, in focus, where on a head-to-head side, you can't really make a move when a superstar just takes one day off. You can't use a roster move to get one day of fill-in unless you're in one of those whacked-out leagues that has like seven or eight weekly moves, which is literally so many, you can't... There's not even a point in long-streaming at that point because you could long-stream like five roster slots, and that's probably a little bit dumb. So on the Roto side, to those of you that are playing Roto to the end... We're looking at players. We're looking at fill-in guys that are going to post top 50, top 75 value for one single game at a time, plug them into the lineup. Head-to-head side, we're looking at schedule. That's how this show is built right now. And then from a strategy standpoint, we'll do some of that tomorrow. Tuesday's show, we'll talk some Roto strategy at this time of year because it really is quite uh, intricate. And frankly, you know, it's something that folks should have been foc- should have been looking at, I would say, December, January is when you really want to start looking at those averages, but now it's really critical because now you're coming down the stretch and you can start seeing a number of things on the Roto side. Are there teams that have given up? Can you pass them in any categories that you haven't already? What are the teams around you doing with their lineups? I mean, there's a lot going on and we'll talk about that. I I thought tomorrow, but maybe Wednesday is a better day because Tuesday we'll only be doing... Or Wednesday, we'll do a a four-game recap from Tuesday, so that'll probably be a little bit of a shorter show. But today, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vesperus. So glad to have you guys along. Again, remember, we go all season, all off-season long, five days a week. This podcast does not take a break because there's always something to learn in fantasy basketball. Today, we've got reverse chronological lightning round. We'll go back through the weekend, try to find anybody that might be an interesting stream on the Roto side and what's been going on with the different teams. And then, as we've been doing, two-a-days. Monday and Tuesday, we'll plan out your streaming planner today and tomorrow. This is a really good week to stream. We talked about it a ton on Friday's show. That yesterday, Sunday, was a big day to get your team situated for this coming week. But guess what? There's more. So let's just dive straight on in. Oh, by the way, please do follow me on Twitter, at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or Google search Dan from Hoopball, because Dan from Sports Ethos hasn't search engine optimized, popularized, whatever... I don't know. It hasn't done it yet. It's what matters. So we dive on into the reverse chronological lightning round at full tilt, and we'll try to move at a pretty good clip here. I know I promise that often, and then I don't live up to it, but today I really, truly am, because I'm fully aware that this podcast is coming late. I had some family stuff I had to take care of, so we'll get it out. We'll get it quick. Josh Hart sitting out the second half of a back-to-back for Portland. He's obviously going to be a very good play in Roto. This makes him a really difficult play in head-to-head, even with Portland's great schedule. Chris Dunn, I like a lot. Trendon Watford, I like a lot in the head-to-head side. Not as much on Roto when Justice Winslow is playing. And Drew Eubanks continues to be kind of a back-end center. So not a whole lot changing there, other than kind of understanding the rest element of Josh Hart and Justice Winslow. And then we'll find out tonight who the big beneficiary is when Hart sits but I'll tell you, I, you know, I don't know how the Blazers don't sign Chris Dunn to another contract. He's one of my favorite pickups right now, and I would recommend adding him everywhere. I mean, nine assists and three steals in only 24 minutes. 
He might even play more uh, as guys continue to rotate through rest days. There's nothing not to like there. On the Indiana side, no Isaiah Jackson. We don't know when he's going to be back and out of concussion protocol. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is going to sit on half of every back-to-back for the Pacers. That's something that we uh, kind of knew anyway. This was the this was not a back-to-back, so make of that what you will. Um, they do have one coming up later this week. You know, we'll see. Basically, Tyrese Halliburton may be running out of gas a little bit. I you know I wouldn't worry too much about it. The uh, the big games out of Justin Anderson, ignore it. O'Shea Brissett, basically ignore it. Although he does stand to benefit here with Jackson out. Jalen Smith was back, but he only played 18 minutes. Still, he's a guy that you need to have rostered. And as you kind of look up and down the lineup here, Halliburton, yes, obviously he's a go whenever he's playing. Brogdon, same story. Goga Batadze, 25 minutes or more. He's probably startable in most formats, and that might last here. You've got about 24 minutes in this game until Jackson comes back. Heald's a go. Smith's a go. I mean, this was just an ugly ball game. And then Brissett, maybe you look at him more on the head-to-head side because of his shortcomings in percentages, and you just kind of pray that they don't hurt you in a one-game sample. Uh, But again, they don't play today or tomorrow. So if you're looking at the Pacers on the head-to-head side, you're waiting until Wednesday. Memphis blew out Houston without Ja Morant. That's what they do without Ja. Their defense is incredible. They just swarm and get steals like it's going out of style. Bain, JJJ, Dylan Brooks, Tyus Jones is always a great fill-in anytime Ja is out. DeAnthony Melton gets a bump when Ja is out. Brandon Clark's been good lately. Had some foul trouble in this ballgame. Held him down, but still 22 minutes is more than enough. So there's a lot of options on Memphis. And uh, just keep rolling with Jones in really any format. I don't think John Morant is back first thing this week. It seemed like he was actually in some pain. And we're now close enough to the playoffs where they don't really need to overdo it with him. They've got Brooklyn on Wednesday, Indiana on Thursday. Ah, Head-to-head side, you know, it's hard to hold on to Jones not knowing if he's going to be starting but again, we're into the week now. I don't, I don't know how you move off of him today. That's a tough one. I'm going to say no. Houston, they're in the middle of the, they're at game two of a five and seven tonight, which still makes them a four game and six night team. Not a bad one if you wanted to kind of stream at the front end of this week. They've got a Portland double dose in Oregon on Friday, Saturday, and then you'd move off of the, the Rockets on Sunday. But again, you're, you know, this is a team where you're not streaming anybody on the Roto side. All of it is schedule-based for this club. Pelicans beat the Hawks 117-112. Jose Alvarado had a better ball game, but he's been pretty unpredictable lately. Herb Jones had a better ball game. He also has been pretty unpredictable lately. On the Roto side, I'm, I'm really only starting McCollum, JV, obviously, and Jackson Hayes is the other start for Roto. In head-to-head... As again, you know, you we tilt more towards what does the schedule say? Well, they're finishing up a back to back today, and then they're off for two days. So this isn't a team you're really dabbling in. At least I would say Thursday at the earliest. And then they have a pretty good schedule the remainder of this week when they go Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. But again, we can kind of deal with them later. You don't even have to worry about it right now. And for the Hawks, Danilo Gallinari finally came through with a good ball game and played 41 minutes. John Collins doesn't sound like he's all that close. I know I've been hammering the Gallo stream on this show, and it hasn't panned out the way historically he's played, but maybe this is the one that kind of wakes him up a little bit. So I still like Gallo. He's a good streaming option. Hawks go Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Then you could move on, or if everything's going great, they have a four-gamer next week. 
kind of worry about. They get again. This is something you can worry about on Friday or Saturday, rather, when they're done, or Friday if you want to play in one day ahead. Orlando beat Oklahoma City, ninety to eighty-five. Uh, no huge surprises on the Orlando side. Cole Anthony had a bad shooting game, but generally plays enough to have fantasy value. Mobamba was fine, but not spectacular. Wendell Carter Jr. had a really nice ball game. Chumo Kiki bounced back here. He's been warming up a little bit again. Steals and blocks starting to come back around. Franz Wagner's been fine. Mo Wagner has actually been a really nice sub off the bench. And with no Jalen Suggs, RJ Hampton filled in and wasn't very good. Easy peasy. With OKC, no Shea in this ballgame, which kind of looking around like, all right, well, who's going to go? And it was Pokashevsky who took 20 shots to lead the team, could not make one to save his life. But you've got to like the fact that he's in the starting lineup now. It seems semi-permanently. So Poku is very much an add and a start uh, as long as he's starting. Baisley is probably a start as long as he's starting, although, you know, the percentages, particularly free throw, <sighs> shuddering. And Isaiah Roby came back out of nowhere to play 29 minutes. I, you know, I, I can't in good conscience recommend a Roby pickup because we saw what just happened a week ago. They just disappeared him. So Poku, Baisley, Shea when he's playing. Trey Mann played 32 minutes here. Aaron Wiggins was not around, so I wouldn't dabble in that stuff either. Phoenix needed overtime to beat Sacramento. Demonis Sabonis hurt his knee late in this ballgame. Soreness cropping up. Uh, don't know what that means for him. It's only a two-game week for the Kings. He's a, you know, possibly a zero-game week, a one-game week for Sabonis. This creates a real mess. Uh, there's a lot of news actually coming out of this ballgame. We'll start with the Sacramento side because if Sabonis sits, Damian Jones probably starts at center or they slide Trey Lyles up. But either way, it does seem like Lyles is probably going to get kind of a guaranteed 28-plus minutes if Sabonis has to miss any time, which makes Lyles a decent roto play. But again, with the head-to-head week, just two games I don't I don't know how you deal, you know, two days off here to start the week, then at Indiana, two days off at Orlando. It's just a bad schedule all the way around. Their one midweek game is on the overload Wednesday. So, no, I wouldn't deal with it on the head-to-head side, and you basically can't start any Kings this week on the head-to-head side if you're in a weekly format because Fox was out, Sabonis might be out, and nobody else plays enough to even be considered. Yep, including Harrison Barnes, who was a little bit better in this ballgame. Two-game week ain't enough. On the Phoenix side, the news is all over the map. We heard this morning that Chris Paul might be back by middle end of this week, which is just crazy because he was expected maybe back for the first round of the playoffs, and we're solid three weeks before that right now. That's way early. They've got a back-to-back in Minnesota and in Denver, Wednesday, Thursday, And then they play on Sunday. So their schedule isn't very good this week. A three-gamer with a back-to-back, meaning he's coming back from a hand injury, so there doesn't have to be a traditional rest day. But would they rush him back? I mean, there's just no reason at all to rush him back. Phoenix is running away with the best record in the NBA. No one's getting anywhere near him at this point. They're at 58 wins. Grizzlies' second-place team in the entire NBA at 49 Suns basically can't lose the top seed. So I, while I certainly believe the report that Paul is getting close, he seems to be a pretty good healer when it comes to upper body stuff, I don't see a reason why they should mash him in there for this brutal Minnesota to Denver altitude back-to-back. That's a terrible way to drop back into the mix. 
Maybe he plays in the second half of that, or maybe he waits and comes back on Sunday. Either way, if you're in Roto, make sure he didn't get dropped. Because, again, we're not going to deal with conditioning once he's back in there. Once he's playing, he's going to go 25 to 30 minutes in his first game back, maybe more. So if you can even squeeze seven games out of Chris Paul at the end of the year, that's a big deal. Head-to-head, this is a nearly impossible call. Because we're on day one of a head-to-head playoff weekly matchup where what if you use a move on Chris Paul and he plays one game on Sunday of this week? You've detonated your team. I don't care how good Chris Paul is. And you guys know this podcast is like Chris Paul fandom central, for fantasy at least. There's, there is no one in the NBA who can do in one game what we can get out of somebody else in four. Just, it won't happen unless you catch the Kyrie Irving 60 burger or the Cat 60 burger. Even then, a four game week has a pretty good chance to beat them in everything besides the scoring category. You know, what did they have? Five, six rebounds, five, six assists, stuff like that. You can get that a four game week. Someone will trounce that, even if they only score 45. So, my best guess is he's got a two game week, sort of to split the difference here. And a two-gamer for Chris Paul is technically enough. Mm. But I just can't, in good conscience, say to use a move on a Monday for someone who might play Wednesday, Thursday. Because there's so much going on this week. I mean, tomorrow you've got Warriors and Knicks that start five games in seven nights. I mean, I'd pick up a Warrior or a Nick. I don't know who might be a streaming option in your league in particular, but four games there. We're talking four games guaranteed instead of probably two. Much better player. Yeah. I don't think I can take that chance. It's too risky. It's too risky. I got to go just get games played. Worry about that other stuff later. So that's the head-to-head side. If you have campaign who sat this one out, he had a cold or a flu or whatever it is, not COVID, uh, you sit on him a little bit longer. He's going to play... 15 to 20 minutes, even if Chris Paul does come back. So at least you get something out of him. And then presumably you could move on after the back-to-back if Chris Paul is back. Jay Crowder turned an ankle after coming back from a previous injury. Was it hamstring? Groin? I think it was groin. Doesn't matter. He might be out now for at least part of the back-to-back, which would thrust Torrey Craig back into the spotlight as a really good Jay Crowder fill-in option. We've seen that one as a pretty simple one-to-one correlation. But again, you can't do anything about it today because it's Monday. And in Roto, also really not any reason to do anything about it today until we get a better scouting report, a better injury report for later this week. Utah beat the Knicks. Not a whole lot there, fantasy-wise. Uh, Burks, slower game, but he was fine. Quickly was okay. Fournier's been warm. Mitchell Robinson had a bad one. I mean, you're not going to drop any of these guys from one bad game. Utah just trounced them. Same story for Boston-Denver. Boston's going to give some guys a night off here. They've got a back-to-back in Oklahoma City. The regulars appear to be in uh, the big scorers, I should say. Tatum and Brown, Boston saying, you guys go ahead and just win this one yourselves. We're going to give the Time Lord a day off. We're going to give Marcus Smart a day off. I think Al Horford's in, which means he slides up and plays center, and that's great for him. Grant Williams would be an interesting one-day stream if you felt like Going that way, he'll he'll play 30 minutes, and we know how absurdly efficient he is. I think he's the best corner three-ball shooter in the NBA, which makes him one of the better three-point shooters overall in the NBA this year. Also, great foul shooter. But again, we're talking one-day stream. So 
Roto, maybe. Meh. Mixed reports today coming out of Denver about whether or not Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray will actually get into a lineup this year. I think we're at a point now where you just abandon ship. If you were stashing MPJ, which I know a few of us were, I had him in one spot. Sounded like he might be back by today at one point. Not happening. Which also means that there probably is something to the Bones Highland surge, although it slowed down a bit in this ballgame because, you know, Boston defensively is outstanding. Uh, but I don't think anybody's coming for their minutes. And right now, it's Jokic is kind of the only nugget that's been reliable since Will Barton cooled off after his first five weeks of the season. It's pretty much just been Jokic by himself this year. But lately, we've seen some nice stuff out of Bones. I don't know that you need to do anything with it. It's not a game-changer type of deal, and Denver only has a three-game week, although they do go on uh, some slower days. Even though I, I would argue Wednesday is probably your only real overload day of this week. So it's not quite as relevant. Toronto beat Philly on the road without Freddie Van Vliet. How about that? James Harden, Joel Embiid sound like they're going to get some rest on the back-to-back. They're dealing with Miami, which means Philly has some fill-in stuff. Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey. Those guys will probably have decent ball games. I don't know that they run DeAndre Jordan all that much at center, which means who? Paul Reed? I don't I, Probably goes centerless for a while. George Niang probably has an okay ball game. Matisse Thybul probably has an okay ball game. It's a mishmash in Philly for this one. But again, that's a one-game stream, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. And on the Toronto side, it sounds like Freddie Van Vliet is coming back for their second half of their back-to-back. So the Chris Boucher one-night fun ends as quickly as it started. And Spurs beat the Warriors on the road. Uh, dubs without Steph. Draymond Green got himself ejected. Unwise. As far as the Spurs go, uh, Josh Primo slid into the starting lineup and Josh Richardson slid to the bench. That's a two-game week for the Spurs, so you don't have to worry about them at all in head-to-head. If you're looking at the Roto side, I wouldn't venture past the usual suspects, and I don't even know that you really need to hang on to Devin Vassell, although he was nice in this ballgame, just because of the schedule stuff. If you're falling behind in games played in any way in Roto, that's a guy that's been kind of, like, I would say just above streamer level. I'd like to hold on to him if possible, but I, I also kind of get it. So, Pirtle, Murray, and then Keldon and Devin are kind of maybes. And on the Warriors' side, we are wondering what this team might look like without Steph, and there's a lot of stuff coming up with Golden State, because tomorrow and the following day, they got a back-to-back in Florida, and then Sunday and Monday, they've got a back-to-back in Washington and Memphis. Presumably, Clay Thompson is only playing in three of their five games in the next seven days. Otto Porter's probably only playing in three of their seven game, five games in the next seven days. So who gets to do stuff? Uh, I would imagine Andrew Wiggins plays in most of them. He missed a few games last week with an illness. Hopefully he goes in four out of the five, and he'll be tasked with doing a bunch. Jordan Poole's going to have to do a bunch. Uh I think the games when Porter and Thompson play, they're going to go pretty big, provided Otto's body can even hang in there. But again, this really, I mean, that's more of a roto-type move. So then what? Draymond's in. So Nemanja Bielitsa at a big ball game here, he'll fade back into obscurity when Draymond plays an entire one. And then what? Jonathan Kaminga's probably streamable. Kevon Looney for the five-gamer. There isn't a whole lot extra there. The way they, like with the Knicks, and the Knicks had a terrible game here against Utah, but like from a streaming standpoint, Fournier's been on the bubble all year. Uh, Burks, 
quickly. These guys have all kind of moved inside lately. But if any of those dudes are floating around, they would be a great five and seven kind of stream. Let's go back to Saturday. We're moving at a pretty good clip here, aren't we? I'm, I'm doing as I promised. Milwaukee was without Giannis, so Brooke Lopez started and had 15 points in a couple of blocks, 20 minutes and a half. Um, I still don't think I would start him until he's up around 24, 25, even though this one obviously was a startable fantasy line. It's just not a predictable enough. Most times, if you give him 20 minutes, it's not going to be enough for fantasy value. I would assume Giannis is back for the next one as well. Pat Beverly got ejected from Minnesota. He'll be back, and when they're healthy, which they basically are right now, although Cat is questionable with a forearm contusion, Nas Reed is probable. What the hell was his thing? Back, something in the back. Uh, you know, if Cat is out, then Nas Reed is a great play, but it seems like everybody else from Minnesota is fine, so I wouldn't venture too deep down that rabbit hole, although they do have a four-game week every other day. Charlotte beat Dallas. Mavs may be tuckering out just a little bit. Luka's been carrying a pretty significant load. His teammates have not been shooting the ball well lately, uh, and they're going to need to get a little bit more. Spencer Dinwiddie sat this one out. This is part of a back-to-back for Dallas. We really still need to see what the hell Dallas is when Dinwiddie, Brunson, and Bullock are all there because we haven't really. Lately, Bullock's been a drop because he hasn't been around enough. Brunson and Dinwiddie have been holes because they've been okay, sometimes good, uh, and just enough for us to go, all right, we'll give it a little bit more time. And then Dorian Finney-Smith has actually cooled off a little bit here lately, so he's probably more in that stream department, which for Dallas isn't bad because they got a four-game week this week, a four-game week next week, and you can kind of lean on those extra games to help you out. Nothing on the Charlotte side. Nothing changes there. Lakers ran out of gas on a back-to-back in Washington. Another ugly performance for L.A., although they did beat Toronto the night before in overtime. You kind of figured that they'd be running on fumes at some point in this one. It's worth noting that Russell Westbrook's actually been playing a little bit better lately. Don't know if it sticks. Don't know if it's a blip. We still don't know when Anthony Davis is coming back. Malik Monk remains a guy you need to be starting as long as he's in the starting lineup. Uh, and Mello generally startable off the bench, but no other fantasy changes for the Lakers. For Washington, Tomas Sadoransky played really nicely, 27 good minutes off the bench. He shot perfectly, which makes this line a little bit of an illusion, but it's worth keeping an eye on. What if? What if they decide to go Sato as a very tall starting point guard, and Raul Neto and Ish Smith basically just kind of get pushed aside? What if those guys end up fighting for the backup minutes? Then... We could think about it. Denny Avdia had a better ball game. Not concerned about that either. Daniel Gafford had a better ball game. Not really concerned about that. Kristaps Porzingis was in foul trouble. He's trying to play in every game right now. So you really don't have to worry about the center spot until KP gets hurt again. And then KCP. He's a guy that we've been riding through ups and downs. And this is a better one here. He was bad in LA, but he was much better against his old team in Washington. Jeremy Grant starting to get some rest days here at the end of the year. Uh, still cannot fathom why the Pistons didn't trade him and get something. I'm sure they could have gotten one first-rounder for Grant at the deadline, but they've still got him, and so now he's going to play sometimes Detroit every other day this week. So it's not back-to-back related. It's just, you know, we got a bad team we're playing against, and we really need to lose. He'll probably play against Atlanta and New York because they figure they'll lose anyway, and then Washington, he might not. They get, but heaven, they cannot afford to beat Portland by accident. 
So if Grant sits out any games, Kelly Olynyk gets a little boost, although he's questionable with an ankle thing. And then Marvin Bagley is the guy who gets the bigger bump because he's the young one they want to give a look at. I truly don't know who's going to play on a given night for the Pistons, but from what we're seeing right now, Cade should be fine. Sadiq Bey should be fine. Isaiah Stewart, if you just need rebounds, should be fine. And then Marvin Bagley should probably get bumped. And he probably starts, really, given that Olenek is questionable as well. I don't know who else they would drop in there. Maybe Rodney Magruder and just go small underneath Stewart, who actually is all kind of small himself. But Bagley's going to play, provided he doesn't have a game like this one. He'll play 27 to 30 minutes, and he'll get, I would think, at least a handful of shots up. You take Jeremy Grant out of the lineup, and, you know, top two usage guy frees up a lot of stuff. And then on the Cleveland side, nothing. No updates there. Squat. Karis LeVert still trying to find his rhythm. That's, I guess, the only update on Cleveland. Uh, who didn't play over the weekend? There were a couple teams. Brooklyn didn't play over the weekend. Um, Goran Dragic is questionable, which is a shame because he is streamable for Brooklyn home games when he's healthy. Uh, and this thinks because they've been off for a couple of days. So you would have thought he would have been all right. And then they go on the road for two. So Kyrie will render all of that stuff moot. And then they're back home again. Seth Curry is definitely a start. No matter who else is in the lineup, he's back. He's raring to go. Uh, also didn't play over the weekend. The Chicago Bulls didn't play over the weekend. And they're getting Patrick Williams back, maybe. I think he's questionable for tonight. Miami didn't play over the weekend. But Jimmy Butler's supposed to be back, so we'll just leave that one alone. On the Chicago front, I guess my question is, what does Patrick Williams do to Alex Caruso and Io DeSunmu? And my guess is that he probably turns them... He might make them unplayable. But Chicago starts this week with a back-to-back, so you might as well just ride that out if you're in head-to-head. If you're in Roto, I think I'd probably bench him for a day, see what it looks like, and then probably drop would be my guess because I don't think it gets better. Clippers are continue to be in one of the worst schedule stretches that you'll find from any team all season long. They haven't played since Friday of last week, and then they also have a two-game week, and then they don't go again. To, next week is a four-gamer, but most of it's at the back end. And we talked about this before. After the Clippers played in Utah on Friday of last week, off for three days, on for one, off for two, on for one, off for three again, on for one, and then another day off. So it's not even like they come back with a back-to-back. So it's two games over the span of 10 days? Brutal. But Roto, you just keep riding the same old names through, head-to-head. Abandon ship. Abandon ship! We should have done that last week, though. So nothing... No real changes there. All right, we did that pretty quick. I want to pivot now into the schedule stream part of our discussion today. That's the two days, Monday, Tuesday streams. Today, you guys know I'm very hesitant to recommend moves on a Monday. Very hesitant. Unless you have someone who's hurt or someone with a two-game week, which hopefully we were able to avoid due to long streaming, But I get it. Like, maybe you've had Devin Vassell for a long time on your team. He's not going to be good enough in a two-game week. And you have two choices when it comes to a player like Vassell in a two-gamer. Or really anyone. I mean, if you are a Clipper, but they should have been gotten rid of late last week. Clippers, a two-game. There's three teams, actually, this week. It's pretty unusual. The Kings are also in there. So, you know, let's say you had 
some players on your team coming into this week, like the Kings, like the Spurs, who had a four-game week, and then transitioned to a two-gamer. So it goes from pretty good to very bad. You have two choices. You could make a move today, because there are plenty of teams that have a four-game week. Just roll with it. Uh, Brooke, I mean, I'm not going to give you the list. You can look it up on many, a, many an internet uh, article that just lists who the four-game weeks are. And in such a move, you immediately game two weeks with one roster move. And generally, I'm good with that. You're going to be deciding who the pickup is, obviously, but like as streamers go, you have a ton of choices. I mean, hell, like we can, we'll just talk about it right now. We'll just do them really fast. Brooklyn is the list of four gamers. Brooklyn, Charlotte, Chicago. I'll do it in uh, not alphabetical order of the city, but alphabetical order of the abbreviation. After Chicago, it's, uh, it's Dallas, Detroit, Golden State, Houston, Miami, Minnesota, New Orleans, New York, Philadelphia, Portland, Utah, and Washington. So there's a lot of teams that have a four-game week. And when you think about who might be streamable on those clubs, uh, Charlotte has a couple options. Chicago has a couple options. We talked about Dallas has a couple options. Detroit, think, you know, if you rode them through their off-day stuff last week. The other note, of course, on this is some of those teams have games on Overload Wednesday, which is the same as a day that Sacramento and San Antonio have their... they have. The Clippers don't, by the way. Clippers are Tuesday, Friday, so they're not on overload Wednesday. So it's possible that you're dropping a, a king or a spur for someone who still plays on that Wednesday, but maybe they aren't going to be in your lineup. Was the spur, was Devin Vassell going to be in your lineup? Was Davion Mitchell going to be in your lineup? Was Harrison Barnes, sadly, going to be in your lineup on the Sacramento side? Maybe. So now you have to do that calculation we talked about on Thursday or Friday of last week, where it's like, okay, well, I do gain two games played, but I also have to bump up my 11th guy on Wednesday to cover the fact that I'm pulling someone out of my starting lineup. So what do I lose? Okay, well, my 11th guy is whatever, whoever I pick up to stream on Utah or Philly or what, you know, if it, Matisse Thybul, I'm picking up George Nyang. What do I lose by putting Nyang in my lineup instead of Devin Vassell? And the answer is probably a couple of points, maybe a steal, something like that. But you get those two extra games, and then you just subtract that difference to find out the bump you got by making the roster move early in the week. There's another choice here, and that choice is a team like Washington that goes Monday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. So they move off of the overload day, and there's actually a very real chance that you might have too many guys going on Wednesday right now and if one of them is a king or a spur, you could shift off of that player and actually move to a four-game week that gains you three games. And if that's the case, like if you can go to Washington that doesn't play on Wednesday but still has a four-game week, and by the way, they're not alone. Chicago is also one of those teams that doesn't go on Wednesday with a four-game week. Um, I think of anybody else. Might be it. Might be just those two. Now you're getting three games, and you don't have to worry about any weird computations. Or, if the, again, if the Spur or the King was in your lineup on Wednesday, you can do three games minus the difference between who you bump up into your Wednesday lineup. All right, so that's option number one. If you're dealing with a two-game week, 
the other option is wait. Like if you're if you're not overloaded, let's say you have exactly ten guys going on Wednesday. Because if you have more than that, then you should you should make the switch to somebody who's not playing on Wednesday. Because you'll you'll basically gain a game even if even if the number of games in the week is the same, you end up gaining a game play. But let's say you're not overloaded on Wednesday. I have a I think my remaining playoff team actually has exactly ten players going on Wednesday. So unloading one of those guys actually doesn't gain me the phantom game. You could hold the two gamers through Wednesday, which I know sounds nuts because you could make a move today and you know most teams in the NBA play two times between today and the end of Wednesday, and the Kings and the Spurs each play just once. But there are teams like we just talked about, Washington. And I already forgot who the other one was, but I've, I'm scrolling the board in front of my face to make sure that I am sorting this out. I think it's Washington, and I think there's one other team. Oh, it's the Pelicans. It's Pelicans, not the Bulls this time around. It's the Pelicans that actually go three times Thursday through Sunday. So if you really liked the King or Spur that you had, and you want them to be in your Wednesday lineup, you could hold them. Like... You know, if you think Demonis Sabonis is out, Trey Lyles could actually be like a top 75 fantasy player for however long that lasts. And that's not worth using in a two-game week. But if you can hold through Wednesday and then make one move and turn your two-game week into a four-game week where the first game is a guy who's top 75 and then the last three games are more like a guy who's top 125, now you've actually done better then switching off of your king or spur. And Vassell is a good example of this. Lyles or Vassell. These are good examples of why you may not switch off today. Like, let's say you're switching to someone who's a top 125 guy. You get two games. You're, you're, you're balancing here. Two games of a top 75 guy versus four games of a top 125 guy. Or if you wait and you feel confident that you can find someone on the Pels or the Wizards that is in that 125 range or 130, or whatever it is, then you could get one game out of a top 75 guy and three out of the 130 guys. So you actually gain a little bit in that instance by waiting. We're going way into the weeds here. But those are the only reasons I would think about making a move today. And even then, you don't have to. Because as we talked about so much on Friday, waiting until later in the week gives you a better idea of what categories you need to attack. On Thursday, you're going to know more about what your week looks like on Thursday than you are today. It's just, I mean, that's just a simple statement of fact. On Thursday, you might have one game from a spur or a king under your belt, and you might look up at the board and say, okay, I'm going to have to attack rebounds, or I'm going to have to attack assists, or I'm going to have to attack steals. And if that pops up, well, that changes who you're looking at. I mean, if you're attacking assists... After Thursday, you're realizing that's the one that's going to make the difference. Great. Now you know, if you're looking at Washington or New Orleans, your choices are maybe Devontae Graham is on the wire, Ish Smith, Raul Neto, Tomas Sadoransky. There are choices. What if you needed to attack rebounds? What if that was the direction you found you needed to go closer to? Uh, well, not a ton of options on the Pelican side. Wizards, you might be able to go with someone like a Rui Hachimura who's been getting four, five, six rebounds in most ballgames. Daniel Gafford might be floating around on some waiver wires. Porzingis may or may not play that back-to-back. You know, he just did one, but that doesn't guarantee it's going to happen again. So I still feel 
despite this long, drawn-out, circuitous argument on how you could maybe use a move today, like, your best bet is to wait. Use them as late as you can. And because there's only one real overload day this week, Sunday is a maybe, today is a maybe, but Wednesday's a real one. Last week we had 12 games on Wednesday and Friday. I think this week Wednesday's 11 and nothing else hits 10. The Wednesday overload stuff does change the way you have to look at your own team. I get it, so not all of this is going to apply to you each time, but this is why you could potentially wait. If Wednesday is full and the 11th player on your roster that might take the place of Devin Vassell or Trey Lyles or whatever, or Harrison Barnes, whatever fringy king or spur you have on your team, if that 11th player is a reasonable fill-in, then I would say you go ahead and you make the move early. And you go get a wizard, frankly. Because now you're turning a one-game week, basically, or 1.3 or whatever we decided the, the... the difference between your 10th and 11th guys is on overload Wednesday into a four-game week. And that's a huge jump. So check your roster for Kings and Spurs. See who you might be able to pull out on Wednesday, provided you still have a full roster even after they're gone, and turn a one-game week into a four-game week or a 1.3-game week into a four-game week. That's a really good use of a roster move. Otherwise, I'm not doing anything today. You know, if I have a three-game team... I'm not touching them today, you know, especially if they play tomorrow. Like most of the teams this week, I think there's only one or two uh, that are three games that are also off the first two days of this week. Indiana, Memphis, and Phoenix, I think, are the three teams that are off Monday, Tuesday, and then still have three games later in the week. I feel like Orlando's in there, too. No, they go tomorrow, Wednesday. Sorry, I'm wrong about that. Um. And in those instances, uh, you know, looking at Memphis, they, they play Saturday. They don't play Sunday, so you could abandon ship with a Grizzly on Sunday if you really wanted to. Uh, I don't think I would do anything today. Because, again, there's no way to turn a Grizzlies three-game week into a five-gamer with a move on Monday. Because no one plays five games this week. So the only reason I'm making moves today is if I'm overloaded on Wednesday with someone who specifically has a two-game week... Even a three-game week with overload, I'm, I probably am not making a move today unless that player's really not good. If it really is like my 10th guy, like if it's Torrey Craig, Phoenix has a three-game week, I might drop Torrey Craig today to get somebody who has four games that doesn't go on Wednesday, so you're gaining two games minus very little. Okay, so that's your that's your little cutoff. And then as far as tomorrow goes, since we are looking one day ahead... You could make some moves tomorrow if you have someone that plays today that has a bad schedule the rest of the week. Boston, for instance, plays today, then they're on overload Wednesday, and then they're off until Sunday. So maybe that Celt- – I mean, the Celtics are – typically their guys aren't fringy. Like, the starters are significant. You're not going to drop Marcus Smart uh, and because he's probably like your sixth or seventh best guy on Wednesday, and then you bring in your 11th best guy. That's a big drop-off. That's a big drop-off. So, that you know, that one it doesn't work all that great as an example. But let's say you have a team that plays three games that has one today and one on overload Wednesday, and then they're off for a while. Lakers, you might have someone on that team that hasn't been great lately. Uh, Oklahoma City, they're three games. One of them is on overload day, 
and one of them is also today. So if you're Monday, Wednesday, and then one other game, you could maybe look at removing that overload play. But one thing that I can say for certain today, one big thing on the streaming front, if you're not currently overloaded on Wednesday, meaning that if you removed a game from Wednesday right now, you would actually lose that game played. I don't think there's anything I would do today. Because even if you switched off of a king or a spur to a four-gamer, you, you do gain the two games, but you could just as easily do that on Thursday to the Wizards or the Pelicans. You just limit your options on teams by waiting to make that decision, but you increase your ability to know what stats you're hunting, which I think is more important. You can make a move today to someone that might not end up helping your team. Might be a category that you're just going to lose anyway. Someone who has super high turnovers and maybe you had a good chance to win them. So I think the only way you make a move today to pull this all together and finally get this show up super late in the day, the way you make a move today is if you are overloaded on Wednesday, the replacement to your overload play doesn't cost you very much. Eh, that one's that one's an iffy. Like even maybe if they do cost you, it's still okay. And you go to a team like the Wizards. I already forgot who the other one was. How did I forget already? Who's the four gamer that doesn't <laughs> doesn't go on overload Wednesday? Chicago. Chicago's one. So you switch off of that two gamer uh that is on overload Wednesday, and you make a move today to someone who has four games not on Wednesday. And that way you gain three games in one move. There's no reason not to make that play. None. That's where I'm at with the streaming for the next couple of days. Uh, thanks for dealing with me. I know this show's coming out late. Shout out to all you guys for being uh, good sports about it. I'm not even going to ask you to rate and review because of how late this show came out. But I will ask you to talk to me on social media at Dan Vespers. Have a great Monday. Let's get this week off the right way. Talk to you tomorrow.